Welcome to Nice Ashes. I'm Nate. And I'm Mike. What the heck are we smoking, Mike? We are smoking, as said before. As promised. As foretold. The La Gloria Cubana Series N. And it's got a very lovely... N. N. On the wrapper. And my name starts with N, so I already like this one. It is, yeah. This has uh, tremendous shelf appeal. Yes. Uh, Yeah. In the industry, you know, as they say, like, this is uh, nifty. I really like that. Yes. And nifty also starts with an N. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. I wish I would have done that on purpose. I I wish I would have done that on purpose. Why don't we say you did? Yeah. So So, so we're going to light up. Uh, The wrapper doesn't taste as spicy as the last one. It's sweet. It is very sweet. To my uh, to my taste. And I like the smell for what that's worth. Preparing this cigar with a little bit of whiskey sour and a Guinness. So a little sweeter. Don't need the uh, offset as much. That is true. Nate's having some lighter issues. We're doing this one in person. It's not really lighter issues. It's lighting issues, meaning me being an idiot. Well, I think it comes down to, I was reading that book that I showed you. Mm-hmm. The cigar book. It's a little... I don't know, 60 pages or 50 pages or something. Short little book, and it kind of goes through a little bit of the history of cigars. And, you know, uh, Europeans had no idea about tobacco until uh, Columbus. I don't know that that's 100% true because Columbus, it wasn't like he was the first fucker over here, really. Mm -hmm. You know, they had some form of uh, smoking tobacco, uh, the native populace here. The book uh, claims that was in the Yucatan Peninsula where the tobacco was being grown and everything. And it kind of goes through the process of, for the wrapper, the wrapper, I guess, is the most expensive part of a cigar. And um, they have to dry it and ferment it. And they use some, like, tasteless kind of glue to seal it, which makes it uh, non-kosher in most cases. Uh, There's a, a, and I didn't know this, there's a layer underneath the wrapper um, I can't remember what it's called, but it's like really kind of rough leaves that hold it all together. And then the wrapper, and then there's the fill. And on good cigars, the fill are uh, as long as the as long as the stick because that will burn slower and more evenly, and more consistent with the flavor and all of that. Um, and then the cap, so that the cap is like the fourth part. So you've got the wrapper, you've got the inner casing, and then you've got the fill and the cap. So, um, but in the book, it was saying you should hold the cigar horizontal and light the end. It was using a match in the book. And then it said after it was all lit, you should keep holding it horizontal and inhale. So I was kind of trying that, but I'm not really used to doing that because I kind of hold it at the angle and do the inhale light first, usually, and then spot test it later. Yeah. The cigar community, a lot of people end up being uh, elitist about the way their habits and things. And, uh, you know, it's a pretty much all nonsense, I think. Yeah, the book kind of called it ritualistic more so than elitist. But yeah. that's probably the softening of language that Mike despises. Uh, I'm not a fan of that, yeah. Anyway. George Carlin got me on that kick years ago. Yeah. One of my favorite George Carlin bits is his uh, bit about religion. And uh, just to paraphrase, he's talking about how, like, so God is all-knowing and God is all-powerful, but he just needs money. Mm. You know, and like the <laughs> offering at church and everything. And we also, uh, so for this episode, it's another one of the Nate-led, uh, I don't know if it's really a Nate knows because I just researched a topic and found the things I wanted to talk about, but then I didn't actually read the thing I want to talk about because it's more fun for us to find out together sometimes. <laughs> but we did allude to it unknowingly on Mike's part because I knew what this episode was going to be about, but Mike did not. But he alluded to it on the last episode, and we may have already kind of sort of done this, but we're doing this in a different way because we are going to talk about 
idioms. Oh, jeezy crazy. But we're not going to talk about are these idioms racist, which is kind of the theme of our other one, or are these phrases or terms like mm-hmm. spooky, uh, sold on the river, things like that. Are those racist? That was our racist episode. Not our racist episode. Our, our episode determining whether or not these phrases were racist or had right. racist origins right, exactly. um, or were maybe co-opted by uh, racist causes. Um, and so I wanted to kind of do the origins of some of these idioms because we say these things all the time and most modern people don't know where the fuck they came from because these all came from like, I don't know. Well, I don't know. I don't know where they all came from, but some of them like the 1950s, the bee's knees. The fuck does that mean? Like right. we know what it means or like whatever, but like how would that even become, start to become a thing that you would say? Like why would you say that? That's a honey company in Minneapolis. Hmm. <laughs> now we know. Now uh, we know. Mike's taking the lead already. No, I don't. Uh, uh, that, no. That, is a bee, that is a honey company in Minneapolis, <laughs> but I'm sure it's not yes. from that. Uh, so we've got, I've got two. I've got one from the Reader's Digest, and then I've got one from Oxford Royale. Uh, well, it's probably just Oxford Royal, but it's got the E at the end, so it's, you know, right. Royale with cheese, uh, let's say. All right, so the first one is uh, fly off the handle. Do you have any ideas where fly off the handle might have come from? No. You know what fly off the handle means? Yes, getting angry. Getting angry, okay. Uh, So fly off the handle. In the days before mass merchandising, poorly fastened axe heads would fly off while they were in use. The result was dangerous, as one can imagine. Uh, That's why the phrase is used to describe risky behavior with unpredictable results, although nowadays it's more so with anger. Like, why Mm -hmm. did you fly off the handle like that? Not necessarily like, why did you jump your motorcycle across 14 cars? That's not fly off the handle. In my mind, fly off the handle is a very angry response to something. Yes. All right. So the next one, Mike, steal someone's thunder. Do you think this goes all the way back to like Thor? Or where do you think this one? This is like you're stealing the spotlight from somebody, yes, right? Like you're I, taking credit for their good you know, deeds. I or... don't know where. That's good. I wish it went back to Thor. I doubt it. Would, I, th- I doubt it's from Thor. I doubt it's from Thor. Maybe it's from the new Thor movie. Uh, no, but yeah. So steal somebody's thunder. That's like uh, you you propose to your girlfriend at somebody else's wedding. Yeah, right? like that's stealing. That's shine t- stealing the focus of the event. Uh, from somebody else. So this one is, in the early 1700s, English dramatist John Dennis invented a device that imitated the sound of thunder for a play that he was working on. Mm-hmm. Uh, the play flopped, but then he, he um, noted that another play in the same theater was still using his sound effect device. Like So he was done with his play, and so he, I guess, angrily explained, that is my thunder by God. The villains will play my thunder, but not my play. So that sounds like somebody who really wrote a, a fantastic play and was not at all bitter that it flopped um but at least he invented a sweet thunder sound effect machine in the 1700s uh that then went on to become a phrase that we can use that's interesting all right chew the fat what does chew the fat mean well you know talking some might say you could have a whole podcast on chewing the fat yeah something like that yeah it's probably there probably is a podcast called that i'm sure oh i'm sure any ideas where it might come from no okay it was originally a sailor's term it refers to the days before refrigeration when ships would carry food that wouldn't spoil, and one of them was salted pork skin, uh, which was mostly fat. And uh, sailors would only eat that if all the other food was gone, and then they often complained as they did it. So that complaining turned into being called chewing the fat, the idle chatter of them chewing this interesting thing and, and complaining about it. Okay. Uh, the white elephant. White elephant. Oh my God. That's, that's like got to be like. That's like a, a white elephant gift, right? Yeah. Like yeah it's yeah. a gift from somebody you don't know. Yeah. Don't know. This one says legend has it. So we'll see if this is actually true. Uh, legend has it. Kings of Siam used to give actual white elephants to people they wanted to punish. 
So the elephants were valuable and respected, but they were also expensive to take care of. So the king's hope the present would drive the recipient into financial ruin. So, but now, of course, the white elephant is meant for useless or cheap gifts, not meant to drive people into ruin, but trying to have, uh, you know, your company holiday party and you can exchange gifts with like a $5 limit. So you get a couple things at the dollar store. There's another thing too. There's a whole, uh, there's a whole board game based on this. There were two Kings and it's called the field of cloth and gold. And the Kings were trying, they were peacocking one another and they were trying to give each other more and more lavish gifts uh, instead of going to war. Sure. Um, and there's some, that's some historical thing. I don't remember what it is. And if you don't know offhand, um, no idea. It might be something. Uh, well, let's just look it up. Sounds fantastic. Uh, Wikipedia, the show, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, uh, if you're not going to read the internet, we will. <laughs> okay, so this was uh, the field of cloth and gold. It was actually called that. It was a summit meeting between King Henry the Eighth of England and King Francis I of France. Uh, it was from June seventh to twenty fourth, fifteen twenty. Uh, so they were. It was a very expensive display of wealth by both kings, but they were giving each other gifts. Okay, uh, the next one, by and large. What does that one mean? Uh, I've heard it used just as a shorthand for uh, kind of, sort of, or in summation. Yeah, I mean, it's so, I think really it's kind of like the yada yada from Seinfeld, mm-hmm. right? Like you're telling a story or something or as an approximate value, like by and large, I think he liked the gift. Yes. But there might be some wiggle room. It's kind of like a gray area. Over maybe it's a little bit over fifty percent positive or whatever. Uh, so sailors were first to refer to things by and large. The first part of the phrase uh, refers to the nautical term "full and by," meaning a boat was traveling into the wind. On the other hand, "large" means the wind is coming from behind. So by and large would mean the wind is coming from any direction, giving rise to the current meaning of in general. Mm. So a couple of sailor uh, originations or that doesn't origination. surprise me. Yeah. Uh, okay, this one is the one I really want to talk about. Close, but no cigar. Oh, I do know what that is, but I don't know where it comes from. Okay. Is it from a movie? It seems like it should be from a movie. A lot of movies use it, I think. I know. I've heard it in movies. So this was, uh, comes from carnival games. They now give out stuffed animals, but in the late 19th century, they were targeted for adults and not right. kids. So instead of a giant teddy bear, you would get a cigar. Mm. If they almost won but didn't earn the prize, they'd be close, but no cigar. By the 1930s, the phrase extended beyond the fairgrounds to everyday close shots. Oh, there we go. Okay, once in a blue moon. I don't know what the origin is. But it's that happens be more frequently than, I, than you would think, right? Yeah. Blue moons, though? Yeah, it does. I don't know how ancient it is. Seems like that would be like almost Middle Ages. Okay, so a blue moon is a real astro- astronomical phenomenon, referring to the second full moon in a month. Okay, so I guess it's not that common. Uh, it usually occurs once every 2.7 years. That's not uncommon. I mean, I mean, it's not uncommon. Um, so I guess that's just it. I wonder when I got first okay. recognized. I don't know. Yeah, I don't, it doesn't really say, uh, which is unfortunate, but this is the Reader's Digest version. So it's probably edited for time and content or mm-hmm. something. Because um, a lot of their books certainly are. <laughs> Never read one. I've seen them on a lot of no, shows. No, you see them, but they're uh, abridged, I think is the term, right? Yes, yes. Um, the abridged versions. So I'm not a fan of abridgment or censorship in any way, shape, or form. No. I don't think this is popular nowadays. Except for, like, uh, except for like uh, Avatar 2 Way of Water. I would watch the abridged <laughs> version of that because it's far too long. <laughs> there should be titty shots. Titty shots and then a You know, probably whale. Less, less of those. Less titty shots? More whale. More whale. More whale. I, want, I want blue free willy. Okay. Yeah. Uh, same Michael Jackson. Song, though. Uh, anyway, Under the Weather is the next one. I, I mean, I obviously I know what it means, but I, 
I don't know where... Uh, Given that two of these so far were from sailors, I'm going uh, yeah, to set I'm this gonna, one up. Yeah. There's an underhand pitch at you. Okay. It's from whaling. <laughs> Originally, sailors used the phrase under the weather bow, referring to the side of the ship that would get the brunt of the wind during the storms. To avoid getting seasick when the waves got rough, they'd bunker down in their cabins, literally under that bad weather. Let the storm pass. Okay, give the cold shoulder. Again, I don't know. This one came out the same time incels did. Um, No, that's a joke. That's a joke. All right, so this one, uh, etymologists think the phrase originated from medieval etiquette. After a feast, hosts in England would subtly signal the meal was over and that it was time for guests to leave by serving a cold slice of pork, mutton, or beef shoulder. Oh, hey. So, have you ever been to a medieval feast? Medieval themed feast. Uh, medi- yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I just traveled back there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, no, no, I've I've seen them. I know there's places down in the in the cities. Oh, okay, yeah. In college, uh, I went to one. I was in a class called East West Art History. Okay. Art history was a minor of mine, and because uh, I'm a big fan of art history, do you we do all- any painting? Yeah, we did calligraphy. No, do you do painting still? Like, no, no. You don't no. have that. You're just an art appreciator. I'm an art, art appreciator. Yeah, yeah. Contributor. So uh, we uh, had to do genealogy studies, and then we found period-appropriate costumes, and we had to sew okay. period-appropriate costumes based on our genealogy, and then we had a little medieval feast with uh, all of the uh, uh, medieval dishes. And it was very interesting. Uh, in an art room, by the way. It was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like if you went behind the curtain, there would be like, Art projects half okay, completed. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was just in like this huge a naked model. Yeah, it was like a huge classroom, obviously, but it was very interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I liked a lot of the food. I do like art. I know we're talking about the medieval feast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I would be down. I think they do them. I don't know if they do them at the Renaissance Festival down in in uh, Shakopee, but I've seen because um, usually it's like in a building. And they'll do like the jousting, right? Mm-hmm. And they'll have like the tables, and they'll bring you the feast food and stuff. The ones that I've seen advertised online, yeah, or whatever. yeah, medieval times, That'd which is not to. medieval times, but yeah. no, yeah, yeah um, medieval times. We should go to Ren Fair. I went to Ren yeah, Fair yeah. years ago. I we usually go every year. Oh yeah, I, I'd rather go to the Ren Fair than uh, State Fair. Honestly, State Fair is like way too crowded. Mm. Oh, uh, yeah. State Fair is like crazy. Yeah, nuts, nuts. Uh, let the cat out of the bag. <sighs> Again, I don't know the origin of whatever it is. Yeah, it's not. This is going to be a horror show, I'm guessing. (laughs) I had a high school teacher. Can't remember his name, but that's okay. Protect the guilty. Uh, Innocent. Protect whatever. Protect one of them. Uh, He used to tell us stories of, as a kid, growing up on his farm or his parents' farm or whatever, Uh he wanted to test the hypothesis that cats always landed on their feet. So he had a silo, as farms do. He would bring these cats up part of the way up the silo and just drop them off the silo. And they, you know, so finally he's like, okay, let's try the top. Cause they'd always land on their feet. And he dropped, he dropped it off the top. He goes, yeah, it landed on his feet and ran away. So then I had to figure out in true like Mythbuster style, what would cause a cat to not land on its feet. So he threw it down at the ground. It bounced off the side of the silo and splat. Uh, anyway, let the cat out of the bag. This is uh, the answer may lie in medieval markets where people used to sell piglets tied in bags for farmers to carry home. A shady dealer might swap the piglet in the sack with a less expensive animal, such as a cat. So when you let the cat out of the bag, you're exposing the con to everyone. I see. That's crazy. Piglets in bags? Well, I'm That's sure they're psychotic. not the plastic Walmart bags well, of today. Like, yeah, I'm sure this they're burlap like or, bag or yeah. something. That's psychotic, though. 
Well, you know, people were a lot harder then, for sure. Yeah. Much harder than I am. The Crusades and yeah, much harder than I am and stuff. So, uh, the Seven Year Itch is that from the Seven Years War? Uh, I don't know yet. We'll find out. I wonder. I know what I it know is. it's a Monroe film. Oh, Marilyn Monroe. Seven Year Itch is what after seven years of marriage. Yeah, the saying goes. I don't know if it's just the men get the itch to. I think it's both, right? It's supposed to be both. Maybe I don't maybe, know. Maybe maybe I'm just uh, maybe, too much of an maybe egalitarian. You're too, maybe you're too progressive. A lot of the weird uh, stuff I read about American culture in the past really, like, I guess I'm so modern that it's like freaks me out. Yeah, it's like, well, that's weird. How would it, how would any? It's like, how would anybody ever think this? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, they did. So I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so before the phrase became associated with Marilyn Monroe's iconic skirt, uh-huh. uh, in my second, in my second time, no, third time, my third time in New York, I finally found the subway grate, mm. uh, which actually isn't marked by anything, but I found it. God damn it! Um, you think they would have something there? You would think somebody, but like, it's New York. It's New York. Um, I don't know. And it's really I've never like, been there. I want to go, but I've never been. It's fun. I like it. It was way too hot when we went this last time, but we talked about that on a previous episode. Yeah. Um, it's fun. I like it. I like going and visiting big cities. Yep. I don't think I would want to live there. Never really been to a mega city. Denver. Okay. But Denver's not yeah, no bigger yeah. than Minneapolis, I mean, Mini- really. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Minneapolis is fairly big if you go down into the heart of it, right? Yeah. But Minneapolis is fairly spread out for a, a big city. New York is. is fairly spread out, but it's big everywhere, right? Right. Because the population is just massive. The term originally referred to scabies. An itchy infection caused by mites burrowing underneath a person's skin. Its seven-year moniker referred to how long the bugs could linger. So, scabies. Interesting. Which I don't think is much of a problem anymore these days. Uh, no, I think that uh, modern uh, hygiene, hygiene. has a lot of that. <laughs> yeah, except for the people that shop at Whole Foods. Please use some soap. Oh, God. I've never been to Whole Foods. You don't need to. Do you yeah. want to spend twice as much on an avocado as anywhere else in the world? <laughs> Do you want to smell disgusting hippies while doing so? Please. <laughs> Sign me up. Please. Uh, if you have a Prime membership, not a sponsor, you can get Prime membership deals there as well because Amazon owns Whole Foods. So as an aside, I dropped my Prime membership. Yeah. It used to be really good back in the day. Yeah. But I don't see a benefit for me anymore because of where I live, mostly. Yeah. And even by me, like I order stuff and I'm in the Twin Cities. I order stuff and it's like, yeah, I get the free shipping, which is fine, but it's not really like the free same day shipping that it used to be. It's kind of like free in a couple of days shipping. So even the two day shipping was three day shipping here. Yeah. And now it's like five day shipping. Mm-hmm. So is that like if it's an emergency? Yeah. It? yeah I, I don't need to order a $5 thing. I can wait. Yeah. Or I can go somewhere in the region and yes. find it. Yeah. You know, um, because you might not believe it, but where Mike lives is getting more and more civilized every day. Pathetic dude. Gadzooks. Yeah. Cheesy crazy. No, Gadzooks is our next. Oh, Gadzooks. Ah! Ah! Uh, I don't know. This is old. Uh, it's very old. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this one looks very interesting. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, Zounds, Egad, and Cripes, right? It's not Cripes. C-R-I-P-E-S. It's cripes. Yeah. These silly exclamations called minced oaths were originally Bible-friendly alternatives to swearing. Nice. Uh, because why say fuck when you can say zoinks or gadzooks or... Jinkies. Anything, yeah. <laughs> um, the idea was that if you shouted gadzooks instead of God's hooks, a reference to the nails from the crucifixion... You could stub your toe without running afoul of not taking thy Lord's name in vain. I see. Uh, I've never actually heard the nails referred to as God's hooks. 
Uh, no, I think it's that pretty old timey. An old timey. That's pretty old timey. Curse word. Yeah, thing. I say GDMF. Yeah. 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 Other minced oaths, gosh, yes, which is for God. Jeepers, which is for Jesus. Uh, so Christians have been shouting Godzooks since the 1690s. Mm. Uh, those are good, some good years. All right, this one, and I've got, and this is, yeah, and this is actually this will take because this is one of those that uh, Christians will use to guilt you into supporting abusive family members. Blood is thicker than water. I've heard a lot of stories about this, uh, and I'm probably going to get it all wrong in my head because it's all bro science, obviously. But I've, I've heard that it's uh, been misconstrued to a certain extent. It's been construed in the exact opposite way. Yeah, the exact, I think you probably explained this I to me. I think I did. We were both it's one of my favorite uh, inebriated. Things. It's or... one of my favorite things to bring up to people because yeah. people will say, well, they're my family. And then I always bring up the, well, you've heard blood is thicker than water, right? Uh, so nowadays it's kind of meant as you should always put your family before your friends. Yes. But the full maxim is the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. Mm -hmm. So if we break that down, what does it truly mean? It means the friends you choose and have covenants with, I mean, in covenant is kind of an old, old, old Testament kind of term, right? But like, Water of the womb doesn't really mince any words about what this maxim thinks of uh, familial ties. Yes. Have you ever heard the song, Blood is Thicker Than Water, by Black Label Society? I, I'm sure that I have. It's good. I'll have it's to re-listen. I've been trying good. to go back and work through some bands that I've listened to kind of in passing. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm kind of like going back and uh, re-listening re to a lot of them, like Queens of the Stone Age currently. Mm-hmm. I, there was a guy who was on a cake kick at the alley oh, okay. the other day. Cake's good. Cake is great. I was yeah. like, God damn. There's a guy who's like somewhere between 30 and 50 who okay. really likes cake. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cake is really good. I really love. Uh, have you heard, <clears throat> have you heard Common People by Pulp? Mm, well, I probably it's have. It's a fantastic but, song. Okay. It's, I don't know. I mean, I guess it could kind of be like an incel like anthem, I suppose. But like one of the lines is like. This guy is a male singer, male vocalist, and he likes this this woman. And she's like, oh, I really want to just sleep with common people. And he's like, common people like me? And she's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's kind of a, a interesting take on kind of like class or casts. Yes. Um, okay. Till the cows come home. I've heard it many times, but I don't mm -hmm. know. Okay. And have they ever? Have they ever come home for you? Mine have not. <sighs> you know, I never had to raise cows, thank God. I know people that just, did. I just learned had to me. tip them. I, I, uh, I learned. I, I, I know many people that had cows, and yeah. it's not something that you I wanted to do ever. All right. So this um, cows were often milked in their barns at night. And now I feel like most. That is one nice ash. Now I feel most uh, farmers milk them. In the early morning? They milk them twice a day, morning and evening. Okay. So I'm crossing that off my list of jobs I want to do. So make so the cows milking the cows in the barn at night was one of their last tasks of the day. Uh, so the expression has been around since the late 1500s and is likely to continue until the cows come home. Uh, so that wraps up 14 from there. and We've got 20 on this next one, but some of them might be duplicates and we will skip those. Perfect. Uh, now we're on to Oxford Royal. Royal. It's kind of like the uh, when you see the sign and it says ye oldie. Yeah. It's really pronounced the old because the Y was a TH sound back in that era. And the E was superfluous like most British spellings of fucking words are because they had used everything. But I, I know it's a direct result of where I grew up, uh, which no listener knows. Ha ha. 
Um, I fucking hate tourist attractions and tourist towns with an undying passion. I hate it. Yeah. I hate it. I hate touristy stuff. I hate the tourist towns where there's 25 stores in the downtown area. Oh, shit. And it's like all like, knickknacks. Um, yeah, They're knickknacks. Um, yeah. Widgets. Little, yeah. like, signs of uh, lake life or yeah. at the cabin. Yep. Some of them have cool stuff in it. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I think yeah, I gave yeah. Sarah a couple. Yeah. Uh, I found some incense that were made in Oregon. Uh and they were really good, like really high quality. But now you're spending twenty dollars for a tin of incense. Yeah, and it's like insanity. I can go to the hippie Incense-sanity? store. Insanity. Ah. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. I have two kids now, so I'm like extra dad jokey. Oh, you gotta be. You gotta be. Yeah. So we're at this brewery in Hopkins that we used to go to, but we we went down there because we were looking for some stuff, and they got a lot of antique shops, and uh, they got a really sweet record store. So we're at LTD Brewery. It's not a sponsor. The really sweet record store is Mill City Sound. I uh, picked up two uh, greatest hits of Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. I'm not a Bob Dylan fan yet, but I'm going to listen to those. And then I got, uh, for my birthday, I got a sweet box set Bob Dylan, uh, like studio recordings with freaking Johnny Cash of all things. Oh, yeah. They did a there. lot of duets and shit. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, Have so, you listened to North Country Girl yet? No. One of my favorite songs of all, all right. time. And I'm still going to go back and look for Greatest yeah. Hits 3, and I'm going to look for the one that has North Country Girl on it. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a solo. That's not a duet. But the solo no, is no, really no, no, good, no. too. Yeah, yeah. Freewheeling. Yeah, yeah. Freewheeling, yeah. I'm going to look for the Freewheeling album. It wasn't there. But they go through inventory so fast that you go back. Like, I was looking... So I was looking for Screaming Jay Hawkins... Um, at home, the record that's got I put a spell on you. He was so fucking wasted when he recorded that in the studio. It was supposed to be a ballad, and he was so fucking wasted. He took it up a notch and did all like these screams and like grunts and stuff. And he fucking forgot about it. It went number one, and he had to listen to his own record to know how to play it live. Nice. He was like blackout drunk when he was recording it. And I looked for months, so maybe almost a full year, and they finally had it in because they circle circulate through their inventory. Sure. So anyway, at the brewery, I bought a hat that I thought was pretty baller, and I bought one for my daughter. That was uh, They had one of her favorite color, and then I bought a little onesie for uh, my son, and then a shirt for Sarah. And uh, we're going to check out, and uh, I'm wearing the hat, and the the bartender, beer tender, whatever they call him, was like, oh, that's such a dad hat. And I'm like, yeah, I got two kids. Yeah. Like, duh. Yeah. You have but to- it's also it's a fucking baller hat. Like, I don't know if she said it, like, in a bad way or, like, a good way. Like, some people like dad bonds and some people don't. So, I'm like, I don't really know how to take this. But you sell it. Was she younger than you? Probably. Yeah. I mean, you have the 10 head. I mean, I have the 5 head, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Easy the 5 head. You have the 10 head. (laughs) That's true. I'm past, like, being cool now. No, I mean, I don't care. But, like, like, there's a cool cool color combo and stuff. I like cool stuff. She was just like, such a dad hat. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. Dad hats are cool stuff. I don't know what to I mean, tell I don't you. quite know how to like take it because I wasn't sure how it was intended. Mm-hmm. Right? Like like, oh that's such a dad hat. You know, like, hey, yeah, cool. But like that's such a dad hat. I don't know. Anyway, that's what puns will get you. Uh so this next one is play it by ear, which is kind of what we do every episode. <laughs> More or less, yeah. Uh you know, I don't know what the origin of this is. I don't you, know the origin no of idea. any of these. You don't have any idea where play it by ear might come from. No, Nate, I don't know. I'm sorry. Uh, what am I supposed to tell you? Music, dude. Well, I, I figured it came from the recording industry of some kind, but uh, what, what do I know? It came from Shakespearean plays or something. Yeah, I suppose. They had music back then, too, though. Well, they, had, they had theater and music, you know. <laughs> uh, so those origins of music is, is means to play music without reading sheet music. Okay. Right? So play by ear. Uh the phrase kind of dates back to the 16th century, but it really kind of came into... 
the present use in the mid-20th century America. It says uh, primarily referring to sports, which is weird because I would think that it would be um, you are, it would it would be like I'll get your picture with that ash. He's got such a nice ash there. <laughs> uh, with jazz, with the advent of jazz, mm. you would think play it by ear would have more to do with jazz than it would with sports. Mm-hmm. I tried to get into jazz when I was in college, and uh, I I didn't get into it then. I played into I played in a jazz band, really, in college, like freeform or. Uh yeah. I mean, we had sheet music and stuff, but uh, we had alternate solos and stuff. I'm not really good at the playing by ear and solo stuff, so I never really got a solo. But it was fun because you can do like. Like the looser time yeah. signatures and stuff. So My biggest problem with jazz was I always thought it was more background music than uh, I've got a record. something I'm going to sit down and listen to. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've got a record for you to listen to Okay, um, by Keith Jarrett. And the story goes, I can't remember the name of the record right now. Do I have to use substances to listen to it and understand? Or can uh, I just listen to it? You can, probably, you can just listen to it. I listen to it like straight up. It's, so it's the Colm concert. Uh, the K-O with the two dots, L and N, Colm concert. Uh, and that one is phenomenal because he requested a specific piano, specific tunings, and all of this stuff. And he shows up at the venue, and they've got their kind of like their test tuner piano thing out there that's just kind of like to check the sound and like the panels in the back or like that everything's angled the right way. And it was grossly out of tune. A lot of the keys didn't work, and they could not get another piano in there. And this this guy goes, it's all good, I got it. And he bangs out this amazing record that he wasn't even intending to play. He had this piano that was out of tune with keys that didn't work. And it's like freaking phenomenal listening to it. And you can hear the crowd and the crowd is like going nutso for this like jazz piano. And so I think I think what makes that one good is you need to know the story behind it. Right. And then you and then you're listening and you're like, holy fuck, like this guy's like, can you imagine like, look at any professional sports player, and if one guy's not playing right, he's like, oh, he threw off my whole game. And this guy's like, oh, this piano only works like 40%. No problem. Oh, yeah. Like, that's uh, very impressive. Mm-hmm. Very impressive. So, uh, Mike's a little bit ahead of me. He's past his end. I'm almost to my end. I am past the end. It is fantastic, by the it way, very, guys. very, good. It's sweet and dark. Very good. Is a favorite of the show. I like yes. sweet and dark. And the the, the Spanish was uh, spicy. Yeah, which I liked. Uh, dark. I liked that it was one. dark, but not as dark as this one. Not as dark as this. Yeah, one. this one's darker. This one's dark. But the uh, Spanish box was good. It was very. This good. is also. This good. is very good. Uh, raining cats and dogs. <laughs> I hope that it's medieval. I don't know. Yeah, I hope it's I, not literal. Yeah, I hope it's like uh, something from the plague. <laughs> The origins of this phrase are obscure. Uh, it was first recorded in 1651 in the poet Henry Vaughan's collection, Olar's Canis. Speculations range from medieval superstition to Norse mythology, but it may even be a reference to dead animals being washed through the streets by floods. So that would very well be medieval. Could even be before that. Modern day Detroit. Yeah. Modern day Detroit. Oh my God. Did, uh, did I ever tell you that I looked at a house in Detroit when I was in no. college? So uh, my friend and I, we were internet lurkers, as we everybody was at yeah. that time. Uh, early days of the internet. Well, it wasn't mid-days of the internet. It was like yeah, internet yeah, it was, 2.0. It was post, yeah. post pop-ups. Yeah, it was not 1.0. It was 2.0, yeah, yeah. pre-3.0. But uh, they had houses for sale in Detroit, and you could bid online on them. Oh, okay. And we were looking at this house, and it wasn't just one house. We had like a little bit of money in the bank or whatever. Yeah. And my buddy and I figured out. 
that for like ten thousand dollars we could buy a whole block okay. in the city of Detroit because every house was nine to eighteen hundred dollars yeah. for the whole block and yeah. everyone was abandoned. Probably smart to not have pulled we, the trigger oh, on that. We, we were talking about Bitcoin at the same time, and I guess mm-hmm. we should have bought some Bitcoin. Uh, but yeah. you know, yeah, poor college kids have demands. Uh, yes, uh, can't do something to save my life. I mean, you don't know what that one is. I mean, I know what it means. No, I know you know what it means. I don't know any of these. I was hoping that I knew one of them. I know. Okay, so the origins are um, in 1848, Anthony Trelope first used this expression. He said, if it was to save my life and theirs, I can't get up small talk for the rector and his curate, which I don't know what the fuck even means. So Uh, that's like church talk. And so I'm not interested in that. Let's yeah, move on yeah. to the next one. The rector is like uh, uh, not the priest. He's like not a bishop either. He's okay. somewhere in the middle there. I'm going to turn a blind eye to that one and move on to the next one, which is turn a blind eye. Nice segue. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this expression is... Uh, I hope it starts with Odin. I want it to start with Odin. Uh, it won't, though. Uh, it's said to have arisen as a result of the famous English naval hero. Maybe you've heard of him. Admiral Horatio Nelson. Oh, who hasn't? Who during the Battle of Copenhagen in... Remember the year? Uh, Nelson. No. 1801. Is said to deliberately raise his telescope to his blind eye, thus ensuring he would not see any signal from his superior, giving him direction, giving him discretion to withdraw from battle. Nice. So he did that to stay in the fight and show no quarter. Nice. For those listeners who don't know who Horatio Nelson is, you should look, read the Wikipedia or do whatever. It's very interesting. All these old timey uh, military leaders. Very interesting characters, all of them. There's a fat chance of me doing that, which leads me to our next one, which is fat chance. Nice. I'm just kidding. I'm just working all these in. I'm trying. I know. I know. I'm trying. Uh, the expression or the origins are unclear, but the use of fat is used to is likely to be a sarcastic version of slim chance. Uh, I have no idea what sarcasm is. A uh, similar expression is chance would be a fine thing, which refers to something one would like to have happen, but is unlikely to happen. And then we've got pop calling the kettle black. I've used this so often. Uh, uh, there's a derivative of it that I really can't remember right now. Ha, ha, ha. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so. Uh, so this was first used in the 1600s, notably by Don Quixote by Cervantes. Really? This expression has its origins in the medieval kitchen when both pots and kettles were made from cast iron and would get black soot from the open fire. Head in the clouds. Used since the mid-1600s. That it's kind of unclear, beyond the obvious, of somebody who's a bit of a fantasist or having, you know, uh, things. And this was before aviation, so there's not really much... Uh, Mental health issues? Is that you're trying to... Uh, no, it said something there. about, you know, like it's fantasy, like, you mm. know, imagination type stuff. This next one, you should know, except what you think it is, is actually isn't. Okay. Mad as a hatter. Okay, yeah, I know where that came from, but if you told me that it's wrong, then it probably is. Where did it come from? The hat-making industry back Oh, no, in you're right. I thought you were going to go with Lewis Carroll's... No, uh, no, 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 yeah, that came from because the hat-making industry because he... they used beaver pelts yes. and they used crazy caustic uh, uh, mer- chemicals. Uh, mercurous nitrate in felt hats. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they had uh, chronic mercury poisoning these hat-makers. And then Matt is March Hare comes from the behavior of hares during breeding season that when they sense. run and leap. Uh, but yes, Lewis Carroll's Mad Hatter character in his Alice in Wonderland book kind of maybe popularized, popularized the phrase more so or did more to bring it back or, or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like it, it very clearly made it more commonplace yep. to, to say. 
I learned something the other day, and this is related. Yes. So uh, we all know the Greek gods, ha-ha-ha, and the Roman gods. Vulcan and Hephaestus were the gods of ironworking, smith, smithing. Okay. And they had they were lame. They had lame legs, and they had good, strong upper body strength and all that. And they were, of course, married to Aphrodite yep. uh, or Venus. Because who wasn't at the time? Because, well, they, it was a punishment. doesn't matter. Long story. So, uh... <laughs> It was a punishment from... I'm just trying to trigger Mike over here. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, the god of smithing had lame legs. Okay. What was the origin of the god of smithing having lame legs? Because why would the, you know, smiths, you think of a smith nowadays, like big brawny guys with beards and their yeah. fires and all this. Why would they have the god have lame legs, be lame? Because they didn't, they didn't stand and have workplace ergonomics. Uh, that would be uh, very good. But the dark side is that in the early Iron Age, one of the easiest ways to smith iron was to add arsenic to the mix. Okay. And that would cause their legs to go lame. Okay. <laughs> so a lot of smiths, by the time they got older, would have lame legs. Okay. <laughs> I thought that was so interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that. I was like, oh, that's weird. I thought for a second it was going to be uh, adding like blood to the metal. Mm-mm. But uh, that's blood of the enemies, not the smiths. So. Oh, yeah. All right. Driving me up the wall. Uh, no idea. I'm glad that yeah, I got one. I'm so happy yeah, I got yeah, yeah. one. There's, so there's, it says there's no clear thing. So why would you put this on here? Because it's a whole, there's 20 English idioms with their meanings and origins. And the origins is it's unknown. Mm-hmm. So don't put it on your list, I guess. Uh, call it a day. I'm going to guess that's from uh, factory culture in the Industrial Revolution. The original expression was call it a half day. First recorded in 1838. In a context meaning to leave one's place of work before the working day was over and call it a day came later in about 1919. So just probably a shortening of the original expression. Man. Hey, I got one right by uh, accident. Yes. <laughs> Knight in shining armor. I have no idea where this one might have come from. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Uh, is that from Arthurian uh, legends and shit like that? The phrase... Is this says the, phrase, the phrase harks back to the days of old England. Wouldn't it be the phrase harkens back? I think so. Uh, again, I'm not an English professor, so don't take my English. Uh, I'm not an expert in old time uh, old time English. This is most likely to be uh, Victorian fantasy, as this was in the period when the legend of King Arthur and Court Camelot was the highest. Uh, but as we all know nowadays, Camelot is a silly place, and we shouldn't go there. Yeah, I read uh, what is it, Wizarding 2.0 or whatever. Have you read those? No, books? I haven't. Yeah, they're great. Okay, it's so stupid. But uh, Sarah, uh, I got the first one because I've wanted to listen to it a long time. And Audible yeah. had a sale. She listened to about fifteen minutes of it. Yep, I listened to all like nine of them. <laughs> I was like, this okay. is great. Have to check <laughs> so that stupid. out. Stupid. <laughs> all right, know the ropes. I'm guessing it's a boxing thing. Bare knuckle boxing thing. That's not a bad, not a bad guess. Yeah, uh, but you were mistaken. It goes oh. back to our good friends, the sailors. Oh, uh, so you had to understand how to handle all the ropes for all the masts and and sails and jibs and sure all the knots and, and yeah. things. Yeah. So by the mid nineteenth century, it was a common slang expression and still survives to this day. Larger than life. Uh, <laughs> if you had to guess, who? In history, it would be somebody larger than life that would also have the press around them to record this. Teddy Roosevelt. That's not a bad guess. Winston Churchill. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was first recorded in the mid-20th century, and the phrase was famously used by the New Yorker to describe Winston Churchill. Makes a lot of sense. 
Yeah, it was either going to be him or Orson Welles, really. I'm... Yep. Have you read the Churchill book that I have? Well, I have a couple on No, them. I don't think so. It's like uh, 21 Facts About Churchill or I know something you, like that. I know you talked to me about it, but I haven't yeah. read it. I have it here somewhere. Okay. I'll have to find yeah, it. Yeah, if you find it, I'll read it. Very interesting. Yeah, he's an interesting one. I've got all three, uh, or is it Chernow? Chernow? Books on Teddy Roosevelt. Oh. Uh, and then I've got the, what was it, The River of Doubt, which is about uh, Teddy's... Yes, failed expedition to the Amazon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, extend the olive branch. That's got to go back to Roman times. It's got that's ancient. It's got to be ancient. It has biblical origins. Oh, jeezy crazy! It was seen as an emblem of peace. So in in Genesis, a dove allegedly uh-huh. brings an olive branch allegedly to Noah to indicate that God's anger has died down and the flood waters had abated. And if we had Morgan Freeman narrating, he would say, "And God's anger did not die down." <laughs> a red herring. That's got to be... And you know what this one means. I know what it means. It's got to be fishing related. Uh, it's kind of like a wild goose chase, right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. It's a distractionary technique. Yeah, it's like chasing the white whale. Or, yeah, 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 yeah. A herring is a fish that's often smoked. A process that turns it red and gives it a strong smell. Because of their pungent aroma, smoked herrings were used to teach hunting hounds how to follow a trail. They would be drawn across a path of a trail as a distraction that the dog must overcome. So when you're teaching them to track something else, you would run a red herring and the dog should stay on the original trail and not the fish. Makes sense. Uh, Speaking of dogs, barking up the wrong tree. I'm guessing raccoon hunting. (sighs) Maybe bear hunting. Shouldn't be fox hunting. Well, I don't think foxes. Maybe some foxes hunting. climb trees, but I don't think the ones here do. Yeah, I don't think that it probably is raccoon hunting. Let's see. Uh, the saying refers to a dog barking at the bottom of a tree under the mistaken impression that it's quarry, quarry, query, quarry, query, query, query. It's quarry. It's query. Query is a question. Quarry is a line. Well, Q U A R R Y. Yeah, it's quarry. Like we said, we're not English professors. <laughs> we're just two dudes reading the internet to you. Yeah. Two barely uh, literate individuals. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, we're very literate, but not good at pronouncing words we read. Quizwatch, heteratch. Quizwatch, heteratch. Herodotes. That's my favorite one of all time. Herodotes. Yeah. Um, and is it Harkonnen or Harkonnen? We don't, we'll never know. We'll never know. Okay. Uh, bite off more than you can chew, which is what we're doing right now. <laughs> I, I mean, who yeah, knows okay. where that came from? Uh, Days back to 1800s America when people often chewed tobacco. Sometimes the chewer would put into their mouth more than they could fit and still do to this day because I've seen them at like truck stops. And Have you ever chewed plug tobacco? I've never chewed any tobacco. So uh, if you get real plug tobacco, it's compressed into a brick and then you take part of it off and put it in your mouth and it expands rapidly oh, okay. in your mouth. Okay. It makes a lot of sense. Yes. Yeah. It tastes really good too. Okay. It makes you sick as shit though. Oh, I believe it. I believe it. Blow one's own trumpet. Which is nowadays toot your own horn, right? Yeah. Uh, Nothing to do with music. Uh, It's been the same thing for centuries. The expression is first recorded by Anthony Trollope. And I thought we talked about Anthony Trollope earlier uh, in his 1873 work, Australia and New Zealand. So apparently it was um, something. All right. And the last one is In Stitches. Which is like you laugh. And yeah. You, yeah. Uh, you think it's a funny origin? Your face expression says you think it's a gross. No, I think it's from like uh, Georgian literature. Okay. That's my guess. Okay. Uh, presumably comparing the physical pain of intense laughter with the prick of a needle in stitches was first used 
in 1602. Ooh, that's way earlier. By little shaky Bill himself, William Shakespeare, in The Twelfth Night. What a fucking son of a bitch. After 1602, it was not recorded again until the 20th century. Hmm. But now it's commonplace. Very commonplace. That's interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. I mean, a lot of them were like sailing terms, which, you know, makes sense. Yep. Um, they have a lot of lingo and they travel a lot of places, so... You know, right? Sailing uh, was a huge uh, endeavor back in the day, yeah, and they yeah. interacted with a lot of uh, populace from many different countries, which would make these idioms almost worldwide, right? Within English-speaking countries or whatever language they were speaking, right? So that right, makes, makes sense, sense that yeah. they would become popularized. For the last three um, hundred-ish years, the global empire has been English-speaking largely. Yeah, so it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and it's not like uh, outside of when the cows come home. It's not like a lot of farming parlance has translated necessarily to a lot of super popular idioms there's still certainly right. you know popular farming idioms and things um from that but i don't think as as our research here has shown not as not as uh, prolific as sailing terms right everybody has a well everybody in america has a background in sailing of some variety yeah anybody who's a second generation or older for yeah sure. yeah so yeah very interesting so, that's fun yeah it's kind of neat to find out and some of them were kind of lame because they didn't really say where and you yeah. know i'm sure these two sites weren't really doing a whole lot of super in-depth research you know what i mean um mostly puff pieces but there's yeah, a yeah. lot of stuff you can find out like if you're really interested in one of the phrases it'd be fairly easy to go and probably do some internet digging and uh internet the show find out where it came out came oh out yeah from, so. now for everybody listening i am nearly done Nate is halfway through. So <laughs> I'm a little more than halfway, but for those listening, you've known Nate has been doing what he doesn't like to do, which is talking mm-hmm. for most of the show. And Mike has been saying, I don't know, don't ask me where this one came from. And just shooting me death daggers. <laughs> but I'm like, where do you think this one came from, Mike? And he's like, I don't know. Uh, so. I can sound like a moron all day long. It's pretty usual for me. <laughs> I can talk out of one ear or talk out of yeah, the side yeah. of my mouth. So, anyway, those are the idioms. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. And from what I understand, we're not supposed to use idioms in a workplace environment anymore. Yeah, so. we talked about that briefly last episode. Yeah, yeah, So, I thought it was very fitting that the next one that I had picked was uh, kind of the origin of idioms. And I kind of like doing the... Just the general overarching origin of idioms, maybe more so than is this idiom or phrase or term racist. Yeah. Uh, I thought the racist one was very interesting as well because some of those origins very clearly were, but most of those origins were Americanized origins uh, for some of them. So it was kind of oddly specific to one country instead of, you know. Right. A lot of idioms are local or regional too because I've used the term... uh or the idiom, good for the goose, good for the gander. Yeah. And I've had many people look at me like I'm talking nonsense. Yeah. It's like, well, you don't, you've never heard this idiom before? Yeah. Like, where are you, oh, you didn't grow up here. Yeah. 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 Where, <laughs> where do you think that one comes from? I don't know. Should we find out? Absolutely. Why not? If it's one Mike uses. It is one Mike You use. should know. Do, 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 do. Um, that's my sound for the internet does not know. <laughs> It's, You've heard that before. I've it? heard it. It's just it's saying, like, where did it come from? Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's not saying, what does it come from? It's, what does it mean is what it says. Oh, here we go. Etymology. 1670s, uh, figuratively using goose gander for women and men, 
is literally meaning that the same sauce applies equally well to cooked goose, regardless of sex. Uh, early forms include as deep drinketh the goose as the gander, if you want to go 1562 on people's asses. Oh, nice. As well for the cow-calf as for the bull is another one. And it appears, the expression appears in Dickens when a spy attempting to evade culpability insists, for you cannot sarse the goose and not the gander. Oh, hey, there so, we go. Um, now we know. We've learned something together. I'm shifty on my Dickens. I'll have to rectify that. Yes. Right now I'm doing uh, Le Miserable, and I'm reading... Uh, so when you say doing, like you're putting on a production? No, yeah, you're I'm doing. You're playing no, every no, character. I'm listening, I'm listening to okay. Le, Mis- Le-, Le Mis, which is so long. So long. Yeah. And uh, I'm breaking that up with some uh, Frederick Douglass. Okay. I really like Frederick Douglass. And his various uh, works are uh, illuminating about the past. I find it very interesting. Okay, I'll have to read some Frederick Douglass. Yeah, it's great. It's very interesting. Uh, I I hit a little rough spot where he was like bumping himself up like really big. Yeah. And uh, I was like, my modern context and, of course, my modern culture is like, oh, my God, dude, stop talking about yourself. You're so fucking great. Yeah. But the context is he's like an ex-slave and he's talking oh, yeah. to these racist white people. And he's like, hey, guys, I'm just as smart as yeah. you guys. Yeah. And this is a different context of modern <laughs> times. Yeah. And uh, it's very interesting that, that yeah. even need to be needed to be said that this guy who's clearly brilliant. Yeah. In hindsight, now we know who Frederick, Frederick yeah, yeah. Douglass is, you know. But he, they didn't know who he was then, you know. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, you know, you're patting yourself on the back a little hard there, buddy. But he had to because it was this crazy racist society of 1870 or 60 or whatever time, you know. Yeah. He was active, I think, 1850s through 1870s. And it's okay. like, of course, he's got to be like... Showing off, yeah, you know, yeah, because well, you know, it's bullshit reasons. It's not really like the loudest wheel gets the grease, another, mm-hmm. another idiom, right? Mm-hmm. But before the internet and before reaching the masses and stuff in an easy format, like if you weren't the president of the United States, people didn't really know, or if you weren't, you know, like running a circus in town, like people wouldn't really listen to you, so you'd kind of have to do some self promotion, right. Um, so that makes sense. Right. Um, and I've never read uh, Les Mis or watched any uh, movie versions or play versions. I've never uh, watched any movie or play I've versions got, either. I've got the two version, movie versions, the the slightly older one and the slightly newer one. I think Liam Neeson is in the newer one or something. I mean, it's Hugh not Jackman. like newer. Hugh, Hugh Jackman. Jackman was in one of them. I didn't okay. watch them. I've never watched a play. So I've never, never seen them, movie uh, but I'm interested to see them. But they're long, so I... Haven't prioritized the them. book is freaking incredibly long. Um, a lot of French literature is like massive, you know, yeah. massive. And it's, it's there's like the main story you see in the movie, and that's like ten to twenty five percent of the actual book, and the rest of it's like military strategies of Napoleon okay. and the social dynamics of France during the Revolution, and, and very interesting to me. Yes, but it's not really movie. Yeah, you know, I can't yeah, put that in a movie. Yeah. You know, who gives a shit about Auschwitz and yeah. Waterloo and yeah. what the weather conditions were like, or, mm-hmm. <laughs> or like the passport system of uh, you know early Republican France, yeah. <laughs> which is interesting to me and it's important to the story. It's a lot of backdrop. Yeah. Have you read uh, what is it, Doctor Strange and Mister Neuro? Okay, I tried. Uh, one of my other buddies really enjoys it, but I feel like you would enjoy it because you like the um, Victorian Georgian. I do, yeah, yeah. Style, and it was like, 
maybe plotting. I'll, maybe I'll have to give it another shot, but it was kind of like super mundane. And I was like, this feels like they're describing like a rainy day in England for hundreds of pages. There's a lot of subtext. Like uh, if you read Georgian literature, especially, um, or even Victorian literature, like George Eliot, it's subtext. You have to understand the subtext of what's going on. Yeah. They couldn't outright say certain things, so they had a roundabout way okay. of explaining and uh, having like uh, footnotes that explain the context is super important. Oh, okay. Um, especially I mean, this is a more have... modern book. Okay, but it's in that style. Where it's yeah, kind of yeah, like... yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just like, I don't, I mean, maybe I'll have to give another shot. Right. Maybe it's, we'll have to read it for the show or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like, uh, oh, what am I thinking about? Holden Caulfield. Now I can't remember the name of the fucking book. He only wrote one book. It doesn't matter. But it was, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Look up Holden Caulfield. I can't remember the name we of the book. We do have the internet here. Yeah. Right. Like an idiot. I can't remember it. Well, Holden Caulfield is a fictional character in the yes. works of J.D. Salinger. Yes. The book. Catcher in the Rye? Catcher in the Rye. Okay. The first time I read Catcher in the Rye, it the whole story went right over my head. Because okay. I'm reading it in like the context of the early 2000s as a teenager. Yeah, and if, like if missing, I ever if I ever read that one, that's when I read it. But I don't. Yeah, I'm missing the subtext of okay. like 1950 America and like the rebellious spirit okay. of what's genuinely happening. You know, I the first time I read it, it was like, oh, this is just like a rich kid going on a holiday. Okay, and it was like I all that like undertone of rebelliousness and talking about prostitutes, okay. and pimps, and drug dealing and all this crazy shit. Yeah, that was not talked about in 1950 in a major literary work. Yeah, and that's why it got banned. You know, I mean, yeah. there's a lot of subtext to it. Yeah, that I missed. To went I'll right have to over check my that head. One out. Maybe we should do that one on the show too. Certainly could. It's quick. I don't know that I've ever it's read quick. it. So yeah, it's a quick one. I need to read uh, Great Gatsby again because I've read it two or three times. Pretty good. I've never enjoyed it. I was like, okay, there's a fucking green light at the end of a dock. That's cool. You know, I I just don't get it. Yeah. (laughs) I do really enjoy the Baz Luhrmann uh, version of Great Gatsby with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Mm, I have not seen it. Very, very good. Uh Uh-oh. Party fall. Party fall. We got a dirty table now, guys. We got a dirty table, but I was told it was A-OK. Oh, were you? Okay. You weren't written this time? No, because somebody said they hated this table. Oh, well, you know, they hate everything. (laughs) Sometimes. Sometimes, you know, me too. Not that me too. Right, I was going to say hashtag me too. I didn't want to go there, but you went there, so here we are. Yeah, yeah. Um, A lot of this literature is very interesting. It's kind of like the Three Musketeers. I love that one. Uh, Yeah, what I want to do is I want to read... I want to read, I would like to read The Count of Monte Cristo. It's good. Because I very much enjoy the, I think it's late 90s or early 2000s film. Yes. Which is very good. But there's an older version and an older version and an older version of the movie. And from what I've read online is none of the movie versions have the same ending as the book. Which I'm very curious to read the true ending. I will not ruin book. it for you. That was the only surprising part of the book. Okay. Um, for me. Yes. Um, because it's kind of in the zeitgeist of what the story is. Okay. So, uh, at, you know, if you, you have to put yourself in an imagination state where you don't know the story. Because we yeah. all know the story. Yeah. Even if you haven't seen one of the movies, you yeah. know the story. Yeah. That means a classic story of betrayal. It's a classic story. It's a gla- classic story of betrayal and revenge and redemption and forgiveness and yeah. all these wonderful things. And um, we all know it. Yeah. So it's very, 
It was. I found it very entertaining. Okay. I like Dumas. Dumas is a very good writer. All right. I have not yeah. read any of him, but I'm very excited uh, to recount Monte Cristo. Yeah. That was one of my like go-to films in high school. Oh sure. In college. Like I was like. Man, oh, the Iron Mask. I love that one. Yeah, Man, the yeah. Iron Mask. Pretty good. I think I've only seen that one once or twice, so I have to definitely have to revisit that one uh, at some point. Robinson really? Crusoe. Okay. I was obsessed with that when I was okay. young. I needed to reread it. Yeah. Now that I'm older. Yeah. Now that it's not just like a weird adventure tale where this guy like beats the odds. It's like there's got to yeah. be a lot of weird. Just stuff like uh, I'm glad we did Lord of the Flies mm-hmm. on the podcast. Um, I'd really like you to read or listen to The Dawn of Everything, which I read, which was a slog. Mm-hmm. It was very interesting, but it's you know it's nonfiction. Right. So, and they go into great depths on, you know, archaeological things and, and um, very, very ancient civilizations uh, to try and figure out if they were or weren't egalitarian oh, okay. and things. And uh, I don't know. I haven't read Sapiens. Either have um, I. But my brother really enjoyed Sapiens. Um, but what I've read is Sapiens is a very pessimistic view on kind of the ori- origins of humanity and um, inequality. Okay. And uh, Dawn of Everything is a bit more optimistic and maybe brings in some newer archaeological finds to kind of counterpoint it because a lot of the origins of humanity uh, comes from Europe, right? Right. Europe and and maybe Africa. And I mean, all life started in Africa. The Dawn of our culture comes from Europe and that skews our perspective heavily. Yes. And so the Dawn of Everything really focuses on pre-Columbian native peoples in the americas sure which is very fascinating very and ties stuff, into yeah. some european early early things that have similar ties and things so very very interesting with that anyway gang i am uh done yes. nate still has two inches left or so but we're not going to torture you with listening to nate puff 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 so i really like this one it was fantastic i'm trying to decide i really like the spice of they're two totally different cigars. They're very, very different. This is not the they're, same at they're all. Not, they're not comparable. But anytime we do a series like this where we are smoking several from the same brand, right? It's kind of like I like to try and pick if the, if I have a favorite like we did with the Gurkhas. Yep. Um, and the Gurkhas were, I would say they were fairly similar cigars. Not necessarily in like our enjoyment of them, but they weren't night and day like yes. the last one and this one, right? So these two are, are great. So I'm trying to think like, when would you smoke the last one versus this one? Well, let's right. compare and, and maybe it's a taste, this, taste preference. This is similar to a Series R, but the Series R is less dark and less sweet. Yes. And this is very dark and very sweet. Um, yeah. And the Spanish is spicy. Yeah. So it all depends on your mood. You know, if you want something spiced, yeah. you know, a little pepper, uh, pepper. Uh, that's what you want to go for. But would you would you pick the N over the R? No, I like the R better than the N. I like the R. The okay. R is one of my favorites. Okay, yeah, I like the R a lot. It's um less complex than the N because the N the N's a this is more like a philosophical stick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like sweet and dark, yeah. and it's very interesting with the way that they play off each other. And the R is just like dark and smooth, and that's yeah like bread and butter for me. Uh, and the Spanish is like definitely not one that I would go for uh, at a fire or something. Like that's something you want to sit and have like a sweet drink yeah. or like a bubbly drink and sit down and smoke indoors most likely. And yeah. it's very good. I like that one a lot too. Yeah. But uh, this is good too. I'm not. They're oh, all yeah. good. I like oh. this one yeah. quite a bit. I, I 
I mean, there's, of course, they're different sticks, but mm-hmm. I think, you know, depending depending on your mood and everything, I like the uh, the Spanish. Yeah. I mean, I like this one too, right. don't get me wrong. No, I like this one as well. Um, and I'd have to sp- smoke the R again probably to get a full, because uh, that was season one that we smoked yes. uh, the R. So, But I remember really enjoying it. Yes. Well, we can smoke one again. I'm pretty sure I got a couple downstairs. Yeah. So anyway, uh, both both good sticks so far. Uh, this N was very tasty. Absolutely. And recommend higher than a Gurkha. Yes. Almost any of these would be recommended <laughs> higher than a Gurkha. Um, but as the, how is the price point on these? Are they much higher than a Gurkha or are they about the same? Uh, they're about the same. Yeah. Well, then go for these. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, forget the Gurkhas. Yeah. Unless you don't want something that complex, I guess, or tasty. Right. Well, they're darker too. Yeah. So if you're not as into the darker cigars. Yeah, that's you know, fair. Yeah. So anyway, thanks for listening and catch you next week. Be safe, have fun.